So turn with me to Philippians, the fourth chapter, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And so there was uh, much more that we, we spoke about concerning this, but for time's sake, even though we went a little bit long last week, uh, we don't have time to review, but I would encourage you to download the message when it's online, or you can order one in the lobby. But Philippians, the fourth chapter, these are some of the last verses we read, and we're going to touch on them again. Verse 6 and 7, it says this, be anxious, which means, you know, fearful, fretting, having worries. So aren't you glad that he commanded us to worry right there? said, be anxious, worry, you know, because, you know, if you don't worry, you don't care. No, not true. But he didn't stop there. He said, be anxious for nothing or don't have any anxieties, any worries, any fears about anything. I'm telling you, if you're not worrying and if you're not full of fear, you're going to have more ease in your life. You know, your mind was not made to worry. Worry is really a way of the world and not a way of God. And we need to recognize that if we want to leave the world behind, so to speak, and come up to a higher place and really walk in a good place or a better place with God, we have to come up from worry and come up from fear and um, not let it be what entertains us because what happens when we're in worry and fear, we're walking in low places. It's not helpful. It's not productive. And we should learn not to worry, not to worry about our loved ones, not worry about anything. We said this in Jesus because Jesus said it, worry will change nothing. It won't add anything to your life. And so, but what it will do is it will surely take away from you. It will rob you. Somebody said, well, I'm doing pretty good outwardly. No, but we're not just talking about outward. Life is not just about outward. It's about inward too. Remember that. Just because you can look at your life and see some things outward that look just, hey, this is good. I'm fine. Life is more than just outward. Life is what's going on in you. Life is what's happening in with you and with God. And so here in Philippians, where it says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, we, he basically said, instead of worrying, instead of having anxieties about anything and caring and being weighed down, he said, pray. But how many of you know that many people have anxieties and worries and pray, but they're just as worrisome and anxious as they were when they first started praying? Matter of fact, they might even be worse. You out there? They might have gone into prayer and said, Lord, you know that it's bad. And then they start thinking about everything that's on their mind and it's getting worse. And by the time they leave, they're in a worse condition than when they started. This right here, this kind of praying that he's talking about, and we're going to connect another verse, is not that. As a matter of fact, he says here, don't be anxious, don't worry. So, well, then what am I supposed to do? He said, in everything. In other words, be anxious for nothing. 
So if I'm not going to be anxious about anything or worry about anything and have fears about nothing, then I'm going to have to trust Him in everything. And how am I going to trust Him? I'm going to have to talk to Him about it. And so he said, in prayer and supplication, he said, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you believe God heard you when you prayed, you believe He's doing something about it. If you truly believe... When you pray, you believe right then he's at work. And if you believe he's at work, you can quit striving in yourself. And what's interesting is he goes on to say after that, here's what you need to do. After you've made your request, after you're trusting him, he said, then do it with thanksgiving. In other words, when you get done praying this way, the next step of praying like this is thanking Him. Why? Because we're going to look at a verse we looked at last week. This kind of prayer to get rid of worry is literally a prayer where you throw your concern. You know, Psalms talks about rolling the whole of your care on Him. You're basically taking that weight that is pushing you down, that's pushing on your emotions, that's pushing on your life, and pressuring you. And you know what temptation is, right? Temptation literally means pressure. And you know what depression is? It's just, it's a pushing down. And when you've got cares and worries, it's just trying to weight you down. Have you ever tried to run and, you know, with extra weight or to go somewhere and you're carrying extra stuff? I did that the other day. I had a backpack on because I knew I was going to ride my bike, get off my bike, lock it, hike, get back on my bike, and ride some more. And I put more stuff in my backpack. And I remember just leaving my street, going up the street, and I thought, huh, this is a lot more work right now. And I, had, and I thought, I've got a number of miles to go. But if I, I did think, well, I could always turn back and get rid of this and just ride my bike and then drive my car and then do the hike. And I thought, no. But I was carrying extra weight, and you could tell it. And, and it makes you have to give extra effort. There is some things that you're not to give extra effort in. We are allotted strength and things like that, and God will support us and give us divine strength. But what if we're squandering our strength trying to carry something that we're not even supposed to be carrying? You out there? But if we would learn to roll the whole of our care and get those things off of us, and that's what he's trying to tell you to do, if you're praying and trusting, you're not carrying them. And if you give them to him when you're praying, you believe he's doing something. Then when you believe he's doing something, well, then what should you do next? Exactly what he said. Pray with thanksgiving. Prayer with thanksgiving. What kind of thanksgiving? Thank you, Lord. It's in your hands. Thank you, Lord. You're working. Thank you, Lord. You're doing something right now regardless of what I see. Here's the big thing. If you do this right... He promises you that things will change in your life. First thing will happen is your heart will come to peace. And I don't mean, you know, 
a worldly peace, I mean a real divine peace, will take up residency in and around your heart and in and around your mind. And then while that is working, God is working. If you do this appropriately, you can learn to get free from worry. And so notice what he said. Verse uh, 6, the last part, he said this kind of prayer, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace. Now, you don't get the peace without the process. You know, they talk about the peace process. You don't get this peace without the process. Some people pray and never give their care to the Lord. They don't get this peace. Some people just give thanks, but they still hold the care. They don't get this peace. People who go to the Lord and get rid of the care and put it on Him, roll it off themselves, literally by faith you do that. You trust that it's no longer under your control in the sense of, I'm trying to do it, and you give it to Him to work it out. Then you start thanking Him that it is in His hands, that He is doing it, and then He will endorse the situation. He will start doing something. And he says right here, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now turn to Philippians, I'm sorry, to 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter 5. We're going to come right back here to Philippians, though. 1 Peter 5. So we're to cast the whole of our care upon him. We're to get rid of all worries and anxieties. When you first start doing this and practicing this, it may not be that easy. You out there? Especially if you are the type who has been trained in this way. You've learned to hold on to things. You're a self-sufficient person, you know. I can do this. I can make this work. This may be a little exercise to you. But how many of you know any exercise that you put into practice, you can get strong in? Any area you exercise, you can get strong in. And you can get strong in the fact where you don't have to worry anymore. But let me make this statement. This happens in the middle of worry. Remember that? Because I think some people hear this and think, whew, cool, <laughs> I'm never going to worry again. No, what you're going to do is when worry tries to attach itself to you and get you to get weighted down with it, this is what you're going to do. You're going to roll it away. In other words, this occurs when worry comes. This is helpful. Because, see, I think some people think, you know, when you talk about something like this, this means from now on we're never going to worry. No, this just is what you're going to do when, you, when worry comes so you don't have to worry anymore and keep worrying. And then if it comes, because you're going to have opportunities and good ones in life at different times to really get to worry and get all full of worry. And this is how you're going to just get to pass it up and not get to experience it like other people in the world. And, I mean, if you want, and, and then you get just, you'll just get to have the peace of God in your heart and your mind. I mean, it's either that or worry. You out there? These are things that happen. 
You know, like when you resist fear, guess why you're resisting fear? Because fear is there. Right? I think sometimes people don't realize they're actually interconnected. Now we lost the excitement of the whole thing. No, it is exciting. Because you can literally get rid of fear and worry in your life. Just like you can deal with the temper. Oh, no, I'm Irish. Then get rid of your red hair. You don't have to have a temper. You can resist it too. And the more you resist it and stand against it, the better you'll be with it. And you can get rid of it to where you're a calm person. And that it doesn't matter what happens. You're calm. Why? Because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, which is patient and kind and long-suffering and self-control. You have that in you. You're just going to have to exercise it and get it into play in life. But where are you going to do that when something is facing you? I was doing so good with this peace business until a problem came. You understand? That's exactly when you get to put this into work and you get to watch it work. You with me? This is when it works. This is where it works. And it does work because it's God. It's His plan. It's His program. He set it up to help you and me. Right smack when the house is on fire, that's when you need the fire truck. Right? You don't brag about the fire department when your house ain't on fire, and you don't brag about the fire department, you know, the fire department, the fire department. Then all of a sudden your house is on fire, you're like, I don't understand what's going on. Call the fire department. And when worry comes, don't freak out. You just know what to do. You with me? And so here in 1 Peter uh, 5, we read this, uh, verse 6 and 7. It says, and we'll read verse 8 again, Therefore, humble yourself, or yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What does it mean to humble myself? It just means to put myself in the right place. Not to exalt myself, not to project myself as somebody and to be full of me, but to put myself in a place where I lift him up. And so he said, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, which when we talk about the mighty hand of God in the Bible, he's talking about God's power that he demonstrates and works in your life. That he may exalt you in due time. Somebody said, I'm doing pretty good. But are you exalted inwardly? Are you, you know, and I don't mean exalted pride, but I mean with peace and life and, and your life can be exalted in all kinds of ways. But he said, you have to lower yourself, and here's how you do it, casting all your care, which is worries, anxieties, fears, upon him, for he cares for you. He cares for you, and he wants to exalt you, but the way to exaltation is through trust 
and getting your cares and worries on him, and then he can go to work. And notice this, be sober, which means to be self-controlled. And then where it says be vigilant literally means to be watchful. These literally, when it's sober, he's talking about clear-minded. Because your adversary, the devil. Now remember, when worry and fear comes, they're, it's, they're full of lies. Just full of lies. Trying to paint a picture for you that is horrible. They are just, worry and fear is a big intimidator. It's a bully from the enemy. No wonder we shouldn't, God doesn't want you to keep worries on you. No wonder he wants to deal with the situation. Is anybody going to bully God? No. But when you hold worries and think, how's, what am I going to do? How is this going to happen? That's really just the enemy trying to bully you. There is one who will work on your behalf that's greater than any of those lies. And he said he will exalt you in due time if you will cast or roll the whole of your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because the, your adversary, he's your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. One thing about a roaring lion is it just projects a big voice, but he said he walks around like a roaring lion. We need to remember when worries and fears come, it's not that it is a roaring lion, it's just a projection of words and impressions and things like that from the enemy saying this is going to be bad. Listen, God is our God, and he will work if we will trust him. And he's looking whom he will, can devour. How would he devour you? In this case, it would be the words will eat you up. They'll, they'll work to eat you up. And if he knows that there are certain words that work on you, he will come back there again and again and again and again so those words will eat you up. Because isn't it true, have you ever looked at different people's problems? Someone can be in the same room and have a different problem facing them. They're eating up about this thing, and they think it's so strange that that person's eating up about that. But they're eating up about something else. And it just seems so foreign. Why? Because the enemy knows. And so you have to roll your cares and resist the enemy. And it's interesting, he said, he walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour everybody or it would just say he's walking around devouring everybody. No, he's seeking opportunities. He's seeking for people who will yield to fear so he can captivate them. And so he said, what do we do? Hide. Everybody run. Call the pastor. He's worrying too. Call the phone line. They're worrying too. Everybody's worrying because you can't help it. No, you can. He said, do this. Resist him. Who? Your adversary. Steadfast in the faith. 
knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, you're not the only one going through this. And let me make this statement. You're not the only one who's gone through what you've gone through, but there are other people who have gone through it and got victory in the exact same thing you got victory in. Jesus, the Bible said, was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He triumphed in these things first as a man. And he showed us how to do it. I wrote a couple of things down about worry that I think will help us. Worry and fearing is just being fascinated with something wrong and not profitable. Remember that. If you're worrying, you're being fascinated by something that is unprofitable to you. How many of you would invest in a stock that you put money in that you only got a return if it went up and you knew it would go down? Now, there are people who invest for stocks to fail, but I'm not talking about that. Would you invest in that? then he said we need to resist certain things and don't invest in things that are unprofitable by being fascinated with them. And you'll have to practice doing some things that we're going to look at real quick here. Worry and fear, they try to intimidate you. Intimidate so you don't trust. When we're full of fear and worry, we basically have left trusting God even though we may scream, God! And when we're fascinated and focusing on it, they're there to intimidate you. And when we're intimidated or we allow them to be intimidated, here's the thing, we don't have to be intimidated. We do if it's up to you. If life's results are up to me, we should be intimidated. But not everything in life is up to us, and we are commanded to not be anxious, so we don't have to be intimidated. You with me? We're told to pray and trust, because here's what worry is. Worry and fear try to intimidate you, intimidate you so you don't trust. Fear and worry want you to believe in it and its ability to control the outcome. It's almost like its own religion. Whereas if I'm trusting the Bible, I'm believing in God to change and determine the outcome in the way set forth in the Word. So you see two parallels here. Here's something else I wrote about worry. If worry and fear captivate your mind, they will bully you to make you cower at circumstances so you can't rule. Instead of you in Christ ruling and them cowering and things changing. That's why we deal with worry and fears, because they are bullies. They try to make you cower. Have you ever seen people who are bullies, and then one day somebody rises up against them and backs them down? Then other people realize they're not as tough as we thought. Remember the first Iraq war? Well, I guess it would be the second one, really, um, well, both of them. Saddam was like, I can do this and we'll do this. And he just rolled into Kuwait. And we told him, back up, back up. He had such this military. They had 
they didn't have just 20 guys and, you know, a couple of machine guns and slingshots. And they had a bunch of weapons. They had thousands of tanks. And they just rolled right in and said, we're going to do this. And we said, stop, stop. I don't think he believed he could be beat. I don't believe Hitler believed he could be beat. But here's the big thing. The enemy knows he can be beat. So he uses fear and intimidation to get people to back away. But if we won't be fearful and won't be intimidated, he cannot beat you. It is a weapon he uses, and he is successful with it. He's worked with it for years, but he does not have to be in your life. You can get him to back down and flee. You have to roll your care on the Lord, and you have to stand your ground and say no, and he will obey you. Flat out. I mean, you think about this, this verse, resist him steadfast in the faith. Well, James 4, 7 and 8 talk about submitting to God, resisting the devil, and him fleeing from you. He will flee from you. Don't underestimate you and who you are in Christ. Jesus gave the disciples and the 70 authority, and he said that you might trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. To trample something there literally means just to crush and utterly destroy it. You know, I mean, there are things we can walk on in life, you know, stones, you know, or pathway or wood, and, and we just cross over things. But this crossing over and stepping on is literally just a utter destroying of something. You know, if you ever drop some things, you don't care because it won't hurt it, and you can step on it. But there are some things you're like, be careful, it's delicate. He said we could literally trample the enemy under our feet. You could do that. Don't underestimate yourself. That's the problem with people. They discredit where God has given credit. He gave you credit, and he said, use my name. Use my word. So do this. Turn back to Philippians, the fourth chapter. What do we do when we literally cast our care on the Lord, and we find ourselves experiencing the peace of God? We're going to touch on this just for a few minutes, but this is important because what we want to do is learn to live in the peace of God. Isaiah 26.3 said, he whose mind is stayed on him, he will keep him in perfect peace because he trusts him. So here in Philippians, the fourth chapter, after casting our care on the Lord, giving thanks to him. And now the peace is there. What do we do after? Verse 8 tells us the next step. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, your problem may be true, but this is kind of like a screen. You know, like, you know, a strainer is, you know a spaghetti strainer or something like that. You know, some of them, you have those wire ones, you know. You know anybody know what I'm talking about? No, some people do. 
Well, those work when there's multiple wires. You know what I mean by that? Not just one. There's one strand. You know, it might be great for dropping a tomato through it and cutting it in half. You, you, you know what I'm saying? But if you've got the more you have and then the more that cross through, then what it does is it catches things. You know, we, we'd go fishing and, uh, in, you know, on vacation, and we kept these nets, you know, in the basement. We found that the mice or rats that would get in there in the winter loved the nets. And if you didn't check the net, you'd go out in the boat, and, you know, you get a fish on, and you stick the net down in there, and all of a sudden, that thing's back in the water. I caught, I put that thing in the net, and you realize it just ate a big hole in the net. So when we look at these verses, you need to understand when he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, he's about to tell you what you're allowed to entertain. Now, your problem may be true. So somebody said, see, I'm allowed to entertain that. There's only one wire in the net or one, you know, one string in the net. He said, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble. In other words, they have uh, there are certain qualities about it, moral qualities. Whatever things are just or literally right, whatever things are pure. Hey, some of your problems are not pure. Whatever things are lovely, some things that are true are not lovely. You with me? It's true what they said about you, but it's not lovely. In other words, each one of these things is like a string in the net. And it basically tells us what we're allowed to think on or what we're to hold out from thinking on. If it's pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report. Ask yourself this, what you're entertaining is it a good report? Is it a good report? God's not going to be able to do this for you. He's not. Oh, it, it won't. God, well, this is even too big for God. That's not a good report. It's actually a lie. If there's a good report, if there's any virtue in it, and if there's anything praiseworthy... Even if it fits everything, if it's not praiseworthy, then you don't get to think on it. That shouldn't be where we think. Notice, meditate, which means deeply think on these things, the things which you learned, received, and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice what he says here. After we've cast our care on the Lord, we need to watch what we think. Turn to Philippians, the third chapter, one chapter before. Now, he had already taught them about these things, but he talked about his own life here and what he did. And Paul faced a lot of things in his life, so he knew a thing or two about a thing or two, as people would say. Philippians, the third chapter and the 13th verse. Notice this. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or come to a full knowledge and a full understanding 
but one thing in, in laying hold completely on the things that Christ has laid on him, hold of him about, but he said this, he said, but one thing I do, here's an interesting thing about life, Christianity should be simplified. Christianity should be simplified. Notice he didn't say, now there's like 35 things that you're going to need to do here. If you want to be a success, he said this one thing I do. And it's interesting he did two things, but they're really one. Because they're connected. He said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind So that means you're going to have to change what you think. You're going to have to know that there's going to be opportunities to think on some dark pictures. But you're going to have to not be bothered, but move your thinking away to something else. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now somebody said, oh, but I've blown it and so the future's dark. You're entertaining something that is not praiseworthy. That can't be from God. That can't be from God. So if I'm going to forget the things that are behind and press forward, and all it is a doom and gloom picture ahead, I am not truly reaching forward in the way that God would want me to reach forward, especially when He said, that the things you're supposed to think on are supposed to be pure. Lovely. Is that lovely? The future is going to be bleak and horrible? Eh, not too lovely. You with me? And so what happens is people forget and then they think, well, I've blown it and this is going to be this way. Does it fit in the qualifications? Forgetting those things which are behind, he said, I press toward... I have to find this. I do not count myself to apprehend, but one thing I do is forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, so he puts effort in, forward to the things which are ahead. I press to the goal or toward the goal for the prize, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is always something good in God that he has for you no matter what happens in the future or in the past, the future holds something good. For anybody, we just have to learn to forget the one and go to the other. Hebrews eleven fifteen says this, if this group of people would have called to mind the land they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to go back. It is so important what we think about. Now, I'm going to close with this set of verses right here in 2 Peter 3. What I entertain afterwards is important. And just like the other fact, if I'm used to worrying, I tend toward worry, I have a life of worry, it's going to take a little bit of work. Don't get discouraged. You can live worry-free. But you have to do something. And the same thing is true about your thinking. It's all relative and connected. Notice this in 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Uh, Peter was writing to these people. It was his second letter. 
He was at the end of his life and ministry. We know that he was going to be crucified upside down, or he ended up getting crucified upside down, could have been crucified the other way. Tradition has it that he didn't want to be hung the same way Christ was killed. So they killed him for his faith when he was old. But what he wanted to do was before he left, he tried to establish these people in some principles that would help them. And he said this in verse 1, Beloved, 2 Peter 3, 1, Beloved, I now write to you the second, in the second epistle, or which means letter, in both of which... So he did this in the first letter, and he's doing it in the second letter. I stir up your pure minds. Have you ever thought to yourself, what is going on in my mind? I didn't know it was this bad. What's happening to me? I thought I had a good mind. I thought I was doing pretty good. Just remember this. Not every thought that comes to your head is from God. And you could be under pressure at different times and it not be you. It cannot be, it's not internally from you. I'm going to say something. There was this interview I saw years ago about this girl. She was in her 20s. She'd never had any thoughts like this before in her life. And all of a sudden, she was in a college class. She had always loved boys and everything. And all of a sudden, one day, she was in her class. And this thought came to her mind. Look at that girl. And you like her. And she thought, I never have before. And she just accepted the thought and said, well, I guess I'm a lesbian. She said, that's how I became one. I guarantee you we'd have mass murderers all over the place if people accepted every thought that came into the head. Some thoughts are not from God. You with me? They're not from God. And somebody said, but what's going on in my mind? I thought I believed God was a good God. And look at all these bad thoughts. What's wrong with me? Maybe you're just being assaulted. Maybe you're just under, under some pressure right now, and they're not from you. Because what's interesting about this verse, he said, stir up your pure mind. You could have a good mind that's being assaulted, and he just said what you need to do is stir up your pure mind. Just because you got some bad thoughts right now does not mean that's you. But what the enemy wants you to do is go, yeah, this is you. That's encouraging. But remember, you can resist him and you can make that punk flee. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both, both letters, of which I stir up your pure minds. How? By way of reminder. Paul said, forgetting the things behind. Just because you have a thought about your past, oh, remember when you used to do this and remember this, you can take your mind away from that and go, wait a minute. Maybe he's trying to stir up something unpure. Maybe the enemy's trying to. You can resist that and don't be bothered. You can look at the right thing and stir up your pure mind. How did he stir up their pure minds? Isn't that awesome 
you can stir up somebody's pure mind, you can stir up your own. Don't underestimate and just count your mind as a junk heap. You just might be fascinated with the wrong type of thought, but that may not be you in your way. So he said, I write these things so things that are written in this word can stir up your pure mind. Notice verse 2. I stir up your pure mind by way of reminder that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Notice he said there is a way to become mindful of something else. How? He said, stir up your pure mind. Get into the word. What about speaking? You can close your Bibles, but remember David in the Old Testament? David got discouraged and full of worry, faced worry. I shouldn't say he got full of worry, but he faced worry like other people did. He wasn't even saved. But one time, he had taken his army out, and they just wreaked havoc. They beat these enemies. They came marching back to town, but while they were out doing their job, another army came and stole all their wives and kids and their goods. You know, they're all rejoicing in David. Now, the people had so lost heart, the Bible said the people then spoke of stoning him. So the Bible said David did this. It says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. In other words, he stirred up his pure mind. He said, God, you're the one who delivered these people. You're going to help us. You know, when he got his attention back on the Lord, nobody was trusting God, just him. He brought them great victory. They got all their wives unharmed, all their kids unharmed, all their goods and all the other guys' goods, and got them back to themselves. But he encouraged himself. So one way you're going to you know, stir up your pure mind is by reminding yourself. You should have a party. Not a pity party, but a party. Even if nobody else comes. And just, talk about, just talk about all the good. All that God has said. Amen? I mean, it don't matter if anybody, if the devil comes to the party, then just say, okay, we, we don't need you to talk. I'll do all the talking. God, you're here with me now. You're working on my behalf. You gave me a picture of a good future, and uh, the enemy's trying to paint another picture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at your art gallery, not his. Your picture looks a lot better. And stir yourself up. 